0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the Cult I Left Behind podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Briggs, and I'm here to tell you my stories of growing up in the IBLP cult, which you might know from the Duggar family.
1: And I'm your other host, Kyle Briggs. I'm Amanda's husband, and I have not heard most of these stories before, so stay tuned, and we'll all get traumatized together. we are back for the next episode sorry it's a little late amanda was traveling for work so we're getting this out late on monday um
0: we don't have a traveling setup figured out yet (laughs) yeah we need to get that figured out
1: i mean me going with you might help that's a great idea we're gonna have to figure out a remote solution to
0: i like the idea where you just travel with me
1: okay well
0: You can quit your job and travel with
1: me. That sounds good.
0: I'll pay you in things we can't say on a podcast. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) There is no monetary benefit.
1: (laughs) Well, you don't need money. Uh (laughs) All right. So.
0: Don't worry, guys. We're married. (laughs) According to the cult, we were allowed to say that. Actually, we weren't, but it's okay because we're married.
1: All right. So today I actually was able to do some of the work and not, uh, leave Amanda high and dry doing all the research part. So today I put together the schedule for talking about Amanda's story, which I do know, um, because we're married, but so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, with that being said, I'm going to start off with a little Q&A from the listeners. I had okay. Samantha shot us over a message and wanted to know, um, and this leads into my first question, um, are your siblings still involved in the cult? And that was Samantha's question. And my question behind that was, um, if you just want to touch on how many siblings you have uh, and where you fall in that stack, and then, and then the age gap from, like, oldest to youngest.
0: You want their names and
1: the whole shebang? I don't think you have to do the whole well, names and everything. it's
0: funny because we're all A's.
1: That, that's, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Let me start with that. So <laughs> Rick and Chris, my biological parents, um, have eight kids, of which I am the fourth. As far as I know, they are still married, and... They called us the A team.
1: Oh. So Andrea, Andrew, <laughs> I hadn't <heard> that
0: one. <laughs> Amy, Amanda, meaning me, Aaron, Adam, Alec, with a C, Abigail. And then to make things even more complicated, we were A1, A2, A3, A4, A5, A6, A7,
1: A8. Was that supposed to just be like shorthand? It was easier to yell A3, get your ass over here. Yes. Okay.
0: So I'm a four <laughs> and I'll have to
1: remember that
0: in the age span. I'm also smack dab in the middle. So the oldest is Andrea. She is 10 years older than I am.
1: And then so the, there's 10 years between you and, and the, the
0: oldest and then me and the youngest. So I am 10 years older than Abigail or
1: Abby. So there's a 20 year span, 20
0: year age span in which Chris gave birth eight times. I don't have a lot of good things to say about her, but I think we can give her, like, a little kudos for
1: tolerating that many births. <laughs> That's a lot.
0: That might be the only good thing we can <laughs> say about her.
1: <laughs> so were they roughly all, like, two years apart then?
0: uh, All right. Now I, you're or making was- me think. <laughs> so Andrea – and then Andy I, is, like, two and a half years younger than her. And then Amy is – three years older than I am Mm -hmm. and then me and then Aaron's two years younger than I am. Aaron is in a male, not the E R I N female spelling. Um, and then Adam's another two years younger and then Alex, another two years younger. And then four years later, God answered all of my prayers. (laughs) No, No. God answered all my prayers and I got a little sister who did not want to play dress up with me.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: Which was not part <laughs> of the prayer.
1: Worst nightmare.
0: Yeah. it's pretty bad.
1: So, Samantha's question was...
0: Are they in the culture? Are they still? still involved? I have no clue. Or, well, all right. We have some funny stories. Okay. Okay. So, keep in mind, folks. I haven't interacted with most of these people in, like, over a decade. So, I'm not sure. But back when I... Still kinda knew my biological family. My two oldest siblings, Andrea and Andy, they both got married when they were 28 years old, which was so old in the cult. Like God. we were praying <laughs> for God to yes. send them a What's spouse. Wrong with them? Yeah. You cause uh it was so weird because you couldn't get married too young, but you definitely
1: shouldn't get married too old. Either. So like 18 was like
0: well like 20 to 24
1: was the sweet spot yeah after that it's concerning you're a
0: spinster <laughs> or whatever they call guys you're losing out on years of procreation when you could be raising oh. up a generation for christ and quivers in uh,
1: oh uh, oh gosh. we got to the quiver no okay.
0: uh quiverful <laughs> movement we'll get to that at a different time when i have more emotional energy and haven't been waking up at 2:30 in the morning to catch flights every day. So they finally the two oldest finally meet someone who decides to marry them. And step number 1, you have to go through the basic seminar. Of course. You must. <laughs> required of course because you probably have unresolved everything that you must now fix and um also we're going to need you to make your entire way of thinking in line with cold ideology
1: Mm -hmm. and go Mm
0: -hmm. but also i think you had to be engaged
1: i'm surprised that that wasn't too early
0: to no no because you had you had to get him in before the marriage
1: Okay. You want to make sure you're starting off on the right foot, huh?
0: Right. And everything had to be what Rick wanted. And then for Andrea, because she's female. So her husband, Todd, he um he had like anger issues or bitterness or something because his father was abusive. So, like, you know, instead of saying, Let's let's focus on healing your trauma. It was, well, you better go to the basic seminar and fix your bitterness. (laughs) So Todd had to go through that.
1: They did seem to like the word bitterness.
0: Oh, gosh. Wait till we get there. (laughs) And then Andy somehow – Andy's the rapist, dude. We don't like him. He somehow convinces this young woman named Emily to marry him. And he – Oh man, I have so much I could say about him right now. We, we can we can leave that for later. But I know he made Emily go through all of the basic seminar stuff, mm-hmm. and he like was her shepherd, guiding nope. her through it as a man. They,
1: had he already gone through it? Like they didn't go through it together? No, he'd
0: already gone through it, so she had to get up to speed, oh, Kyle. Okay, so that he could wed was her. Was she
1: from outside the cult? Or yes. Was she, okay, so she. He had as no far
0: o- as I know, none of us married someone inside the cult. My sister Amy, the one who's three years older than I am, she got the closest. I don't know if Brian, I think that's his name, was ever part of the cult, but he came from like a super fundamentalist background and amy like we had finally finally as a family grown to the point where we could wear pants as females
1: <laughs> you by pants you mean like literally just like any type of pants or are you talking like well jeans? like very
0: modest pants that didn't hug our butts or hips okay. we had to be shapeless in them obviously mm. for god so amy starts dating this guy And she starts wearing head coverings. She goes back to wearing long skirts or just skirts in general all the time. After they got married, and Amy had a bachelor's degree at that point in political science, and she had a job, I think, with Wisconsin at the Capitol building. Wow. In Wisconsin, doing something there. Kind of important, I think. And Mm -hmm. um, She had to quit it after they got married because (laughs) as a married woman, she couldn't work with men. (laughs) So I feel like she really regressed. Yeah. And I don't I don't like anyone that I know of that my siblings are married to. I don't think they're very good people. So But I don't know anyone my well, I met one of my younger brothers' wives
1: mm-hmm. once. Mm-hmm. You met. Yep.
0: You met Adam and, mm-hmm. and I think Lauren. Mm-hmm. Uh so I don't know how entrenched in cult ideology they still are. When I knew these people And when I communicated with them on a semi-regular to regular basis over a decade ago, we weren't paying the dues to be part of the cult. As far as I know, none of them were paying the dues to be officially part of the cult. But they were still very entrenched in the
1: ideology. Mm -hmm. So what did not paying the dues or what, I guess, what did paying the dues get you?
0: A family coordinator for your region, I think, Oh gosh! I don't even know yeah. I know that part yeah um, I think just the belonging and the clout and probably ability to go to the cult facilities or participate okay. in cult events and got a
1: badge to get on base
0: something like that <laughs> i don't I don't remember all of that stuff,
1: okay, I mean, you were a kid, and you obviously weren't part like you weren't an adult participating the yeah i
0: so. I know that before we stopped paying the dues we were there all the time volunteering mm-hmm. attending events picnics all of that stuff and then after we stopped paying the dues we still used wisdom booklets <laughs> we still used unfortunately a lot of the other cult practices including punishment practices but i don't remember us going to the events and the picnics and stuff anymore okay. so it was more just you know in the home Rick and Chris, my bio parents, still taught cult ideology and expected cult ideology out of us. Does that answer the question for Samantha? Thanks, Samantha.
1: (laughs) All right. Before we get to the next question, what you uh, drinking over there?
0: Well, I'm drinking what you're drinking. What is this? Is this a sidecar again?
1: No, it's called the scorpion punch.
0: Oh, how appropriate
1: (laughs) i don't (laughs) know i just was going through the i was going through the old mixology book and i had the stuff for it so it's nice rum and cognac orange juice lemon juice and a little bit of cinnamon Mm. and i put some orange liqueur in there too
0: smells good and tastes good thanks
1: you Good like orange this. juice, so... I
0: do like orange juice. could not go wrong there. When all else fails, feed me orange juice.
1: <laughs> so, next question. Um, what-
0: Wait, I have to give a disclaimer. Okay. I have been sharing my story semi-professionally and professionally for 17 years. I travel around, I speak, I do workshops, presentations, at conferences, for organizations, all this stuff... I have a really polished version of my story that I have honed over 17 years, where I hit all the important points and make all of the important educational points. Mm-hmm. I have never, ever, ever before this moment today told my story through the lens of, hey, y'all, I grew up in a cult because I've always (laughs) felt like that was just too much to do to an audience. Like, hi, welcome. We're going to talk about sexual assault today. It's going to be really traumatic. On top of that, I grew up in a cult. No trauma there. I mean, lots of trauma. Like, I've just never done that to an audience. So I have never done what we are about to do. And this is going to be really interesting for
1: all of us. It is. And I think we've already, you've hinted at a couple things here that nobody is aware of as part of your story. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about going around and and talking about sexual assault. So, obviously, that's part of it. Um, But no
0: one knows how the cult influenced it. Right. And and how it was handled.
1: It's going to be a different
0: different different take
1: take on it. But at the same time, this is going to be new to... Anybody you don't know.
0: True. Uh, okay, so then we have to do a few more disclaimers. Topic disclaimer, we'll be talking about sexual assault and mental health issues, including suicidality, if we're going to talk about my story. And then, what's the other thing I was going to tell people? Oh, my attitude around it. There, There is nothing funny about sexual assault and child abuse. Absolutely nothing. If you hear me cracking jokes and stuff in this episode, I am so healed from what happened. I am so used to telling this story. I'm so used to talking about it that I can make fun of myself at different points. I can poke fun at different members of my family. So as you hear that, recognize that I am coming at this through the lens of I've spent a couple decades healing. I am in a very good spot around this. And I've shared this story more times than I can count. It's very mm-hmm. comfortable and familiar to me. That does not diminish the importance, the severity of sexual assault. So let's let's all keep that mentality that it's still serious, it's still horrific, it's still incredibly important to, to discuss. Well, but when I'm talking about me, I lived it and there are certain aspects of how certain things were handled in my biological family that I laugh at genuinely at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't be too thrown off by that.
1: Okay. So before we get into the more difficult parts of this,
0: Mm -hmm. um, let's definitely poke some
1: fun at the bios. (laughs) A little more, a little more context here. Um, So what, what did your parents do for work?
0: Rick was in sales, and Chris was a stay-at-home mom, if you can call her that. I feel like that really insults the good stay-at-home mothers I know.
1: And was she was she also the one doing the homeschooling?
0: If you can
1: call it that. <laughs> Attempting to homeschool?
0: I feel like Amy, the sister three years older... Than I am. Mm -hmm. I feel like she and I did most of the education
1: of my younger siblings. So you guys were self-taught, essentially.
0: Oh, yeah. And Amy and I would like plan the menu for the week. And sometimes Chris would do the grocery shopping. Sometimes she'd drop us off with money, and we'd do the grocery shopping. We cooked most of the meals. We put the kids to bed. We gave the kids their baths. We cooked almost all of the meals. Like we we ran the house. Mm-hmm. I remember Rick sitting me down when I was nine or ten years old and complimenting me that as a nine or ten year old I could run the entire house by myself. And I remember feeling so proud in the moment, but looking back I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what kind of nine or ten year old is supposed to run a home right. with two able bodied parents. Mm-hmm. I most of my memories of Chris was just her sitting on the couch or the lazy boy reading, decorating magazines, or after the internet became a thing in the American home, sitting in front of her email all day. Mm-hmm. She was not involved.
1: Doesn't sound like it. No. That's you know, it's, it's kind of crazy for to have eight children and then like the parent. So your your dad was obviously at work. During and he work traveled hours. a lot.
0: Work. And so she
1: was just chilling at home, like, letting she had you guys slave run labor. free. Like She
0: had slave labor. Yeah. I
1: yeah. think that is that may, mainly based on the fact that the way they raised you and disciplined you guys is that they didn't have to parent you. They were kind of had – I mean, this is my – Assumption.
0: I think the kindest thing I can say about Chris is that she must have been pretty burned out after eight kids. Mm -hmm. And I think she had her own trauma she never sorted through from childhood. So I think she just kind of checked out of life. I remember walking in and she'd be at the kitchen table eating her lunch And she would just be zoned out, like glazed over. There was nothing there. She was gone. So I think the most gracious, generous thing I can say about her is she was probably a traumatized, mentally ill person who was burned out and Mm. checked out of life instead of taking the steps to take care of herself so that she could be a healthy, involved mother. And when I say things like, well, she had slave labor, I'm fine. I, I... I'm fine with the idea. I support the idea of teaching kids how to be responsible and giving them age-appropriate tasks and chores and Mm -hmm. having a goal of by the time you leave the house as a young adult, you know how to fix a meal and clean a toilet and take care of the yard and your car and all that kind of stuff. But what I see... In parents that I respect is when it's done mindfully, intentionally, lovingly with this very nurturing approach of I want to help you be a successful adult and launch well. Mm -hmm. In my home, it was Chris was gone. Rick was gone. I mean, Chris was physically present, but just completely mentally and emotionally checked out Mm -hmm. when she wasn't a raging abusive lunatic. So it wasn't it wasn't this loving nurturing thing it was like a lot of times I wasn't even told I just picked up the slack cuz I didn't want to live in a filthy home mm-hmm. and it was dinner time and we needed to eat or my little brothers were like Amanda I'm so hungry can you make food it wasn't it wasn't planned it wasn't nurturing it wasn't to raise us well it was just chaos and yeah we so- kind of just survived it
1: So when you say that Chris was abusive, was that physically, verbally, all of it?
0: She was every kind of abusive except sexually, unless you call certain forms of spanking sexual assault. She, uh, the woman had a temper on her. She has had, I don't know, Mm -hmm. Let's go with past tense because I don't know her anymore. She had severe anger issues and the cult really reinforced that. It had a very spare the rod, spoil the child approach to discipline. and, And we can talk about that in another episode. But she would fly into rages, cussing, screaming, beating, hitting. I was hit. Until I was 21. The last time I was hit in the face, I was 21 years old. They stopped hitting me after I got married to my ex-husband. Because then I was under his authority. Not theirs. So they couldn't hit me anymore. And. They. She had very little self-control. When it came to her emotions, she would use family dinner time to just scream at everyone pretty frequently. And, I mean, lots of beatings. I, I figured out in the second home I remember living in, my bedroom was on the second floor, and I figured out when she flew into a rage and came at me, I was quicker then her and I could dash up the stairs and slam the door, and then I'd move the dresser in front of it, and then I'd move the bookshelf in front of it, and then I'd brace myself against the bed to push all of that into the door so she mm-hmm. couldn't get in. And I slept with a wire hanger under my pillow for years because I was convinced she would kill me in one of her rages. I was I was a target of it because – When we get to the story of my brother sexually assaulting me, from the moment my parents found out I was the bad guy because I had the family's deepest, darkest secret in my power, and they were afraid I would talk. So I was treated very differently than my siblings, and I was the target of a lot of Chris's rage because I, quote, talked back, and I've learned as an adult, I had boundaries, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was a protector, And that's what that was. And that, you know, that didn't fly in, in that household. It didn't fly with Chris. It didn't fly with Rick. So I've had to relearn as an adult that I was actually a a pretty decent kid. You know, I didn't lie. Well, I lied twice, and I felt so horrible. I turned myself in <laughs> within, like, 30 minutes. Both that still times. exists,
1: by the way. What? <laughs> she cannot lie to save her life, and she feels in a tremendous amount of guilt for even the tiniest of white lies, so that has not changed.
0: No. And I was really helpful and cheerful and positive. They called me Sunshine.
1: hmm I can see that.
0: And but also somehow I was the worst thing that ever happened. So yeah, I slept with a hanger under my pillow for a very long time because of Chris's rages. And I had go bags packed for me and my younger siblings. Cause she took a lot out on the three boys as well
1: Mm -hmm.
0: in terms of physical violence. Abby, the youngest got a lot more of the verbal and emotional abuse and, I, she didn't get hit that i remember i don't know if she even got spankings cuz she was the baby and mm-hmm. but chris did other stuff to her like you know toddlers small children they kind of go through a chunky phase right before they grow mm-hmm. and one time i walked into my bedroom which i shared with abby she was maybe 4 or 5 years old and i found her in a ball on the floor sobbing I was like, baby, what's wrong? What's going on? Like, tell me what happened. And I scooped her up in my arms and I got her to stop crying. And she was like, Mom says I'm fat.
1: Oh no. <laughs> How old was she? Four or five. Jeez.
0: Yeah. Chris Chris hated herself and she had a lot of body image issues that she pushed off on the rest of us. She would make me get on a scale and weigh myself in front of her every week. And she had a number I was not allowed to go over
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I would hate myself the way she hated herself. So she she was abusive in a lot of different ways. She was very spiritually abusive. She was very physically violent, emotionally and verbally abusive. She would get real mad at my dad. At Rick and would just scream to us kids when Rick wasn't around how horrible he was and call him all sorts of names and cuss. And we weren't allowed to cuss in the cult. Like that was not allowed. <laughs> but for some reason, she could. <laughs>
1: when anytime he wasn't she
0: was. No, anytime. Okay. Anytime Chris was mad, she could, you know, she had the mouth of a sailor, that woman. And so just very violent in. In all of the different ways. Very unsafe.
1: Yeah. And how was... How was Rick as far as abuse?
0: I think the worst thing he ever did was throw something at me. He he was a yeller and a thrower. He would throw things. And he has a lot of anger issues. So if he was doing a project on the house. And let's say he... Made the wrong cut for a carpentry project. Mm-hmm. He would throw the saw, <laughs> like not the cheap piece of wood. Yeah. He would throw the expensive saw and get all mad and storm and rage and he uh... and then I would be sent to calm him down because I'm sunshine, right? <laughs> and i I was the family diplomat. Middle child, very good at talking to people, calming them down, taking care of everything. So Chris would send me to calm her husband down. Okay. While he's throwing saws and shit. Yeah. And so that was scary. I was never as scared of him as I was of Chris, though. I I remember being a very small child, like maybe five, six years old. And I base all this on, like, I remember where I lived and, like, who was born. Mm. So I think I was five or six, and we were in the basement of the first house I grew up in, and she had just lost her ever-loving mind about something. And I I yelled over her yells, I think you're (laughs) demon-possessed. Because, like, that's what you know in the cold that's always talking about demons (laughs) and demon-possession. And she stopped cold, and it was, like, one of the few times I can remember her, like, immediately calming. And she sat down, and I think she teared up, and she pulled me into her lap and said she was sorry, and that she didn't want me to think she had a demon. in it.
1: Did you ever abuse that later on? No. Like, the- oh, too much integrity. <laughs> Okay. You know,
0: I really should have.
1: You should have. See, if I had had had
0: friends, I probably would have learned some of these normal childhood facetious mannerisms. I had none. I was like, Children
1: are pretty good at
0: integrity, honor, (laughs) sacrifice, loyalty.
1: I think most children are pretty good at manipulation. They pick up on those things. They're just like, oh, that's, if I say this, then mom will do that. Or.
0: No, I would just tell the truth and get in a lot of trouble.
1: <laughs> Did you guys have... So, this is a normal... I I feel like this is a normal family dynamic where the kids know which parent was going to give them what they want. And so, they know that if they go ask oh. mom and mom says no, they can go ask dad and so, dad's going to say yes. all of the boys would go to Chris. Okay.
0: 100% of the time, the boys would go to Chris and usually get what they wanted. Okay. If I went to Chris, I would never get what I wanted. If I went to Rick... Maybe sometimes I'd get what I wanted.
1: <laughs> okay. So there was a little bit of that.
0: A little bit of that.
1: Okay. So And we
0: were in case you didn't pick it up when I gave all the names, it was an even split, four boys, four girls. Okay. Yeah.
1: So speaking of that, and I know you've told me this before, but just for everybody else's situational awareness. Yeah. So what what was your perspective? in relationship with your older brother.
0: So like, what did I think of Andy Mm -hmm. before he started raping me? Mm -hmm. I thought he was the fricking bomb. He was really funny, clever, really charismatic, made everyone laugh, smart, taught himself computer programming. When that became a thing, taught himself, how to play the guitar mostly. I think he had a teacher for a little bit. He could memorize things like crazy, like all of us cult kids who had to memorize everything. And so he would memorize jokes and stories, and then he would write parodies of songs mm-hmm. and play them on the guitar. And our extended family was not in the cult. I think they thought we were all weird, <laughs> as well they should. But we would still see them and we would spend holidays with them, which were really fun because sometimes we even got to watch movies and and like read books that weren't character quality books. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed that time. But Andy was always like the center of attention. Everything had to be about him. And I found out Chris told me when I was older, she thinks Andy raped me. And like picked me to target because he didn't want them to have any more kids after Amy. And they kept having kids. So he was always really nice to my sister Amy. And then not nice to me, obviously. But but before he started all that, like we would, we'd all play together and we'd build forts and go hike through the woods next to where we lived and go rollerblading and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I looked up to him. He was my big brother and I loved him a ton. And even after he started raping me and, and assaulting me, I was so worried about him because I knew what he was doing was sin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, or like my, what I knew sin to be defined as. And so I would like pray for him while he was raping me because. One of the verses we memorized in the cult was how God would visit the sins of the fathers onto their children. So I started thinking about his kids with my limited understanding of theology. I was like, his kids are going to pay for this. So I was like praying for him and his kids and I was so worried about him. I didn't understand human sexuality or anatomy. I thought he was going to get sick. I thought I was going to get sick. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I thought the world of him until all that.
1: And so what, when did that start, ha- like, what happened?
0: Yeah. Well, I've been thinking about, because I don't, I don't, when I speak publicly, I do not go into detail around this, because.
1: And that's an important thing to note. Like, I'm not going to ask her specific details. I we'll think get I into might that. tell,
0: I might tell some of them. Yeah. I might tell some of them, because.
1: But in general, like, when you're talking to. People like, speaking been, at conferences and well, stuff. Well, just when you're talking to people that have been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. or raped, like, you don't ask the nitty-gritty details. No. Yeah, like, it's...
0: My advice is always let the survivors share as much as they want to share. Because sometimes they're going to be like, no details, and accept that. And sometimes they're going to tell you details that are horrifying to hear, but they need to get it out. Mm-hmm. So so take a deep breath And make sure you have open body language and let them say what they need to say and never tell them, oh, you don't have to tell me the details because then you'll just shut them right down. They'll feel more shame and embarrassment. And what they need to feel in that moment is openness and connection and validation, not shame. They have nothing to be ashamed of. It wasn't their fault. Mm -hmm. So that's – oh, y'all are going to get a lot of education (laughs) as we talk about this. Yeah. That's that's so, your little side bonus of yeah. the podcast now. And
1: we've talked about it enough that I I know how to phrase the questions and, mm-hmm. and let you kind of steer that conversation. But I'm I'm trying to get us going down a certain path here. So, okay. however you want to tackle that. So, like, but how
0: did it start? Like,
1: how did it start and, okay. when, and when did it start?
0: Okay. So, when it started was a really huge question when I eventually reported... And some of how I know is because I have books. Lots um, of books. I have lots of books. Everyone gave me books for birthday and Christmas. And my grandparents, bless them, always put the date. Happy birthday, Amanda, 19, you know, 90, whatever. Merry Christmas, Amanda, 19, whatever. And the, the books, without jumping ahead in the story, the books were involved in some of the assaults. so I have very strong memories of of the books mm-hmm. and of assault occurring with the books present. Mm-hmm. So those were really helpful for figuring out the dates. And then my youngest brother, Alec, got severely ill and was hospitalized for like a month when I was seven into – like he was actually hospitalized through my eighth birthday. And that's a very powerful memory. We all thought he was going to die. It was really scary. So I, I have these – unique markers in my memory that helped when I reported it helped make the timeline mm. of of when the abuse occurred and we'll get into why that was so important for how he was charged but he started grooming me when I was um late stage toddler which how how old are kids toddlers
1: oh, I'm i think horrible up to at like this. 5 yeah i would say like it, 3 I 4
0: so, so four or five, he started grooming me. <clears throat> How in depth do we get here? He, he started coming into the bathroom when I was using the toilet and would make up excuses. Oh, I forgot my toothbrush. Oh, I forgot my hairbrush. And then he wanted to like help me on the toilet. And I knew immediately that if our parents knew, they would not like it. Like, that that flag, that alarm bell went off instantly for me the first time he walked into the bathroom. And we were mm-hmm. not allowed to lock doors in our home.
1: So, no one else in your family had done that to you?
0: No one. So, like, my parents helped me with any toilet stuff that I mm-hmm. need, like, remnants of still needing help here and there right. at that age, which, you know, wasn't much, but occasionally. And then with my hair being so freaking thick, and it, it was – getting pretty long, even at that age, I could like get the shampoo in it, in Mm -hmm. the shower. And then I needed help making sure I got all the soap out. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would call for a parent and that's what we would all do. We'd just stand (laughs) in the shower and be like, I need help. And a parent was supposed to respond or my sister Andrea was supposed to respond. Like Mm -hmm. those were the three people who were supposed to respond, but we lived on an acre in the in the suburbs of Chicago and we had this big garden and that was the other thing Chris liked. She liked her garden. So the day it all started, she was out in the garden and I didn't know that when I called for help and Andy came in instead and was like, well, mom's not here, so I'm going to help you. And I was like, no, I'll just wait or I'll just you know, and I pushed back and he was like, no, 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 just don't tell anyone. It can be our little secret. And I think I didn't say anything because I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And.
1: i sure it was very confusing. It was so
0: confusing. You got to keep in mind, I was like four or five years old.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So think about your four or five year old and, yeah, just how and small how old your, that person is. How old he's they, seven and a half years older than I am.
1: So you're four or five. He's, you know, 11, 12 mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. this time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he just did that for a long time and it, it escalated in frequency. And Chris would leave him in charge when she, like, this was before I was old enough to go do the grocery shopping, obviously. So she would leave Andy and Andrea in charge while she went and ran errands. Because at this point, Andy's like 11, 12. That makes Andrea 14, 15, 16, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. And I think at that point, Andrea was already volunteering at headquarters. She didn't work there yet. She had to make like a year long commitment So she waited till she was done with high school to, like, move there full time. But she was gone a lot. And she – I think she had, like, piano lessons and stuff. So Andy was just in charge Mm -hmm. of the remaining kids a lot. And he really took advantage of that to, to do a lot of inappropriate stuff that falls under the category of grooming and just getting me used to him being places he wasn't supposed to be doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing and then shutting me up with threats you know you'll get in trouble don't don't tell mom and dad you'll get in trouble mm-hmm. and i was like a really good kid who didn't want to be in trouble <laughs> cuz i wasn't bad and i was scared of everything and i think i i think the dissociation just started then, which for those of you who aren't familiar with trauma, dissociation is a very common reaction where you just kind of check out. And it's like you're experiencing your life from outside your body and you're just kind of this passive observer of what's going on instead of actually living in the moment. And it's it's a really great protective mechanism that's just automatic in humans. And it's okay for short periods of time, but when you live your whole life checked out like that, that's when I would very strongly encourage you to seek professional help and and get some people on your team to help you check back into life. But that's basically where I was. I just I just checked out and kind of floated above it all while, you know, he groomed me and then the the circumstances that led to him actually beginning to assault me were relatives came in from California to visit us, my aunt and her daughter and they took my room and bed. So,
1: my, which, how many, how was that even split up? So, you got eight kids and two parents in a house with, with how many three bed-
0: bedrooms and one and a half
1: baths. Okay.
0: <laughs> Trying to get ready for anything and get out the door at the same time was a nightmare. But for a while, it was me and Andy in a bunk bed. He had the top bunk, I had the lower bunk, and then my two younger brothers were like in a trundling crib. And then eventually, I moved into, we reshuffled everything, and I moved into a bedroom with my two older sisters. And I think, I forget how it was all split up, but we all shifted around so that my aunt and cousin could have my bed in one of my sister's beds. Mm-hmm. And then me and one of my sisters were in cots in our schoolroom. But... The age difference was enough that my older sister didn't have to go to bed when I went to bed. So I was in the office alone on my cot doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I was winding down for bed reading a book exactly like I had been told to. I was wearing my father's T-shirt. I feel a little bad for the man because we would all just like go in and steal his white (laughs) (laughs) T-shirts and wear them as (laughs) – We'd wear them as um, pajamas, mm-hmm. and then we'd stretch them out and put holes in them and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I was wearing. I remember that vividly. I remember how I was laying on the bed, reading my book, Stereotypical Amanda, and he came into the room. And without going into tons of detail, that was the first time he sexually assaulted me.
1: So this was where the dates and the books come into yeah. play. Like you knew which book you were reading because obviously that was a traumatic experience. I don't remember
0: which book I was reading at that moment. I have a, I have a, like a hazy memory of it. Okay. I think it, it was my rainbow fish book. Okay. <laughs> Cause I just remember it was like a big book mm-hmm. and it had a hard cover and it was very colorful mm-hmm. and like bright and shiny. And the dates on that seemed to, to line up mm-hmm. and so this wasn't even a bedroom. No, it this was our was... schoolroom, but it was, it had doors. It had okay. two points of entrance, mm. one from the kitchen, one from the front door entrance, like the foyer. Mm-hmm. So he made sure both doors were closed. I can't remember if he locked them, but he, he told me I couldn't tell anyone and it was our secret. And, you know, he threatened every time he assaulted me. He told me he would kill me. He would cut me up with his knives and he had this like Swiss army knife collection and he would lay it out and remind me of all of his knives and that he would cut me up with his knives and he would hurt our other siblings. And he would, he would tell our parents how it was all my fault. Like he just, he was a master manipulator. I think that he and I have the highest IQ IQs in the family. And he he definitely used his to manipulate and do some really vile things. He was, was very smart about it.
1: Was he actually bringing the knives into the room with him mm-hmm. when this was happening? So he was well, like,
0: like a lot of times he assaulted me in his bedroom where his whole knife collection was. Anyways,
1: was he just taking you in there?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah.
1: And so another contextual question. I think I remember this from past conversations. Were you guys allowed to lock the doors? No, but he started doing that. Okay, so that- And then
0: we'd be gone. Now, with that many kids running around, like, you could disappear for a long time and no one would notice. hmm But then Chris eventually, my bio mom, started noticing, like, Andy and I would disappear at the same time. So she'd come, try to open the door. He'd have it locked. He'd- <laughs> Put his clothes back on real quick. Not really bother with mine. Throw me in the closet. Tell me to be silent or he'd kill me. Like, throw stuff over me to kind of, like, hide me on the floor of the closet. Shut the door and then go answer it and tell Chris he was just, you know, in there alone. And, oh, I'm sorry I locked the door. You know.
1: Not suspicious at all. And then,
0: like, he he was just vile and malicious because she would leave. He'd lock the door, pull me back out of the closet and go back to what he was doing. He wouldn't even like end the abuse session. He would go back to what he was doing. He figured that would like scare
1: him enough to like stop. No. I think that's pretty indicative of his mentality right there. Like normally when kids get in trouble, like you don't typically go back to what you were you just got in trouble for doing. Like Like, it's enough of a scare. You know, even if it's handled well, you're just like, Oh shit, I got caught, like I need to mm-hmm. I need to stop, or like that was a close call, yeah. like I gotta stop. Like that I feel like that's a normal reaction. Yeah. And so I think that is very indicative of his mentality that, you know, he could get interrupted.
0: Yeah, and then and just then just go right back. Continue. And I I mean, I I would just check out and to this day I can remember the room was decorated with a horse theme,
1: so the his cur- room or the, the-
0: it hit his, but like it was shared with okay. yeah. the other boys. the The curtains had herds of wild horses running in a in a repeating pattern, mm-hmm. and I could pick that material out to this day. If I saw it somewhere, I just studied it. I counted the horses. I counted the different types of horses and how many were red and brown and black, like bays, palominos. And then his quilt had horses on it too. So depending on what he was doing and where I was, I, I could see the quilt and I would just study the horses and which ones had saddles and which ones didn't have saddles and which ones were English saddles and which ones were Western saddles. And and I'd count the cracks on the ceiling and that's how I got through. I counted things. Yeah. So that just, was how you
1: were dissociating. Yeah. You were like picking something else to focus
0: on. Yeah, I picked something else and I focused on it for everything I was worth. And I counted it and I memorized it. And when he was done, I would, I would make him go clean himself. Cause I didn't know what all of this was. And mm-hmm. I was, I was very concerned Like you have to go wash yourself. Like you're gonna get sick. And then I was terrified I was gonna get sick. So I would go like scald myself with hot water, trying to clean everything off of me. And then I would usually like change my clothes.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And I I would, depending on what season it was, um, if the weather was nice, I would just go get on my swing set outside. And I would swing as high as I could. And I didn't see the movie Forrest Gump until I was an adult and very far out of the situation and had already been through therapy. Um, But I broke down sobbing when I saw the scene where it's Jenny, right? She Mm -hmm. says, I I just want to be a bird and fly away. Because I would get on my swing set and I would swing as high as I could and just like pray to God to turn me into a bird so I could fly away. And I have a tattoo on my back with a bird for every year it took to get away. I did eventually.
1: So I guess pulling that back a little bit, because it's hard. Yeah, I know it's still hard to talk about. Now, I've never know. talked
0: about it like this with you. <laughs> so, this is a lot more emotional because I see your reaction and I'm like, shit, that was really bad. Which I know. I know. I just haven't, you know, thought of it like that in a long time.
1: So, eventually, you end up telling your parents.
0: <sighs> so, I got really sick um, from stress. I got very sick. And, you know, parents, watch watch your young children or watch your children in general. If they start wetting the bed randomly, if they're suddenly having a bunch of um, urinary tract infections, if they're suddenly like someone sneezes and they get the flu just because they thought about someone sneezing, like those are all indicators that there's a trauma occurring Um, and that their immune system is very weakened. And then UTIs are, recurrent UTIs are very indicative of sexual trauma. And kids who have been like fully toilet trained, beginning to wet the bed is usually indicative of a trauma as well. So some stuff to look out for. So I started getting everything. I was sick all the time. I was constantly on antibiotics for this or that and colds and flus and ear infections because I was just so stressed my immune system was deeply compromised and I started getting UTIs all the time and I look back and I'm like come on did, did we not know that yet like mm-hmm. did did doctors not know that a, a young female consistently presenting with UTIs was indicative of sexual trauma i'm wondering like i wonder to this day did they try to say something to rick and chris or did they just not even say anything or did they not know back then but the biggest thing was i stopped being able to eat because i was so stressed i choked on everything so my diet got reduced down to like yogurt and applesauce and mashed potatoes and that was basically all i could eat it couldn't have any chunks like the yogurt couldn't have fruit chunks or nuts in it The mashed potatoes had to be, like, pureed. Applesauce was my best friend back then. And I just, like, I couldn't eat anything. And I'm Irish-Italian, and my grandpa cooks. He's he's full-blooded Italian, and food is his love language. And if you do not eat thirds, you hate him. (laughs) It is an attack against him, his countrymen, everything he stands for.
1: Committed a crime.
0: Yeah. So the reason I remember this so strongly is it – we always did Thanksgiving at – My great aunt and uncle's house in Indiana, but we did Christmas Eve and Christmas in my grandparents' house five minutes away in the Chicago area. And Papa would cook just this beautiful Italian meal. I mean, man would slave over it. And it was incredible. And I couldn't eat it one year and he was so freaking mad at me and he he huffed and he puffed and he put me in his car and he drove me down the street to the grocery store and he was like pick a yogurt (laughs) won't eat my food and (laughs) I felt so bad so I think based on those memories it was sometime between Christmas and New Year's of of that year and and the assault had been going on for a long time at this point like think years um that I, you know, I was sick again and I was up in the middle of the night needing medication and Chris was in the kitchen with me and all the lights were out. It was dark. And she she sat down at the kitchen table and pulled me to like face her and she was like, Amanda, what is going on with you? Because I had been to doctors for this choking thing, like all of it. And she was like, Amanda, what is going on with you? And in my very young no understanding of human anatomy or human sexuality. I'm sure I would have learned something had I been in, in regular school. Like I would have learned some sort of anatomical terms mm-hmm. by this age, but I hadn't because, because cult. How old? Um, I'm gonna say like maybe seven. Okay, I'm not real sure. I'm I'm pretty sure on like start and stop mm-hmm. of the the total experience, but I don't know first disclosure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Uh, But let's, let's say like seven ish. And uh, so I fumbled through trying to tell her and I'll share what I said, because if you have children and they're having, if they're experiencing a trauma, they might try to get it out a similar way. And I said, Andy was touching my bottom because I, I didn't know anything else. I didn't know how to explain it. In any other way, um, I was being raped in, mm-hmm. in like, without getting too graphic, like, every way you can be raped. But that was all I knew how to say. Mm-hmm. And so she, I don't remember her saying or doing much of anything. I think I got a hug. She was like, all right, I'm going to talk to your father.
1: Do you think she knew what that meant when you said that?
0: Oh, wow how could you not as a parent mm-hmm. how could you and yeah, I mean, suspicious, that, like you. how could you not investigate that further? Right. and I don't remember she tried no wait she did she did try to get me to tell her so I described it in a little more detail mm-hmm. but I was so embarrassed mm-hmm. I was so embarrassed I don't know if I told her like all of it. it that time there were more conversations and I think like eventually it all came out so So she was like, all right, I'm going to tell your father. So the next day I get pulled into like this super secret squirrel meeting in the room where it all started, actually in the school room that was now an office with some school desks and a piano in it, or maybe the school desks were completely gone. I think we'd move that to the basement at that point. And yeah, because Andrea was working for the cult from home at that point, I believe. And so she needed an office and a desk and everything. So Rick sat there. I sat with Chris on the piano bench, and fumbled through saying it all over again so to it's my just father. The three just of you. the three of us, and he was like cross. I'm sure, like as an adult, I'm sure he wasn't mad at me, but that's how it felt in the moment because mm-hmm. he wasn't loving toward me. He wasn't like warm and kind toward me. He wasn't like Amanda. This is not your fault. We're going to take care of you. He was just like mad mm-hmm. and like. The energy coming off the man was anger. So I was scared because, I mean, it was, rape was not the only bad thing that was happening to me. I was being, you know, beaten by Chris and we were all being beaten by Chris. Like there was a lot of other stuff going on. And for everyone, because I always get asked this, because there's this misconception that you only abuse people if you've been abused. My brother, I think under oath, which probably doesn't mean anything, I don't remember if it was under oath or not, but to me, to everyone, he said he was never sexually assaulted. And as a survivor of sexual assault, I get real miffed when people are like, well, hurt people, hurt people, which can be true, but most, at least female survivors of sexual assault are fiercely protective of everyone around them and would like die before they let someone else go through what they went through. So let's just clear that up right now. My brother says he has never been sexually
1: assaulted and that's an important point. Is that when that was happening, and he was threatening to to harm your siblings? Yes, that, yeah, that was he a- was playing off of your your protectiveness, which yes. he essentially created. This, yeah, c- protectiveness of your siblings.
0: Yeah, I didn't want them to get hurt the way yeah. he was hurting me, and I didn't have my little sister yet, mm-hmm. but. We'll get to what happened after she was born. And, um.
1: So you're telling Rick Rick. now.
0: So then I get, he's like, okay, all right, we're gonna, like, it it felt like a business meeting. Thank you so much for your concern. We'll get back to you in seven to 14 business days. You know, and I was sent away, Mm -hmm. you know, like out of the room and he and Chris stayed and, you know, locked the doors and kept talking. I was just scared. I was like, I'm going to die. He said he'd kill me. What am I going to do? I can't believe I said that. I was so embarrassed and ashamed and all the normal sexual assault survivor stuff. Perpetrators are cunning. They're really good at making you feel like their shame is yours, even though it is not. And so some time went by. I I don't remember how long. I feel like it was a couple weeks, though. And one night before bed, I was in the kitchen with Chris and we were alone. And to give you an idea, like I was this... (laughs) I was a small enough child. She could pick me up and put me on the kitchen counter. So she picked me up, put me on the kitchen counter, and she was like, okay, dad, talk to Andy, and tomorrow morning, we're going to get you guys up early before the other kids before school, and Andy's going to say he's sorry to you, okay? And I, I just felt like... Poor little me. I was so naive. I just felt so happy. I was like, it's over. And Andy's going to be okay now. And he's not going to keep doing this. And like, now his kids, like, maybe God will forgive his sin too. And like, his sin won't be visited upon his children. And and I told Chris, like, it's all going to be okay now, mom. And she started crying. <sighs> And she – so, like, I reached out my little baby girl, tiny child arms and wrapped them around her, and she put her head on my shoulder and sobbed while I comforted her about my rape. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the next morning, they got us up really early before the other kids, before wisdom search in school, and we sat down at the kitchen table, and I just remember shaking with cold and terror, and I was allowed to bring my comforter from my bed, which was yellow with lots of flowers on it. So I was all wrapped up in that and I sat next to Chris and then Rick sat across from us and Andy was like diagonal for me at the end of the table. And Rick read a bunch of Bible verses about the sin on Andy's hands and instructed Andy to apologize to me. And Andy said the words, I'm sorry, and looked daggers at me. And I knew he was going to try to murder me in that moment. I just, I got like this icy feeling in my belly and I realized I'd made a really big mistake telling them because now he was going to kill me and he, he tried to within like the next week or so he strangled me and I'm alive because someone came around the corner and he pushed me into the coat closet and like, this was he is so bold, so brash. He had me in the foyer. Mm-hmm. like a pretty open, open area of the home. And he strangled me. Like I was halfway in the closet.
1: And what age was this?
0: Same. Like Still. whatever time I disclosed okay. the first time, like seven-ish.
1: Okay.
0: And so I, I remember thinking like, this is it. I'm dying. Everything was blacking out. And then the next thing I knew, I was on the floor by the vacuum cleaner. And some coats had like tumbled down on top of me as I fell. And someone came around the corner and he shut the door and acted like he had just been putting something away and walked off. And then he went right back to raping me more violently, more frequently.
1: Like same day or?
0: Like just, very soon yeah. thereafter. And and you know, when he said he would kill me, I knew he wasn't playing around. So I stayed quiet for a really long time.
1: So was it the only time he tried to to kill me? Yeah,
0: that I remember. Okay, he did other stuff to hurt me and to keep me quiet. So after that first disclosure, oh, and I told I told right away about the strangulation, and I went to my parents and I told them what he had done, and they went and confronted him, and he threw a screaming hissy fit and called me a liar, and they decided to believe him and go with his story that I was lying. And then when not, I don't know when it was, but it, it doesn't feel like it was super long. Like probably less than a year after that, maybe even less time than that. One Sunday after church, he was just always mad at me. <laughs> he was always mad at of me. Of course,
1: you turned him in.
0: We we had a minivan with this, you know, the sliding door, Mm-hmm. and I was trying to get out, and he, <laughs> I had my hand on like the ledge where the door closes. Mm-hmm. And he saw it there. I was the last person in the car trying to get out after church. He slammed the door over my hand and it shut like the door clicked shut on my hand. And I told Rick and Chris that. And I mean, that I had evidence like I had a bruise, bleeding hand. Right. And they still didn't like he didn't really get in trouble for anything. I think Rick and Chris were afraid of him. And I remember thinking that at the time, like, they're just as scared of him as I am. So he got away with frickin' murder all the time because... <sighs> He would he would yell and scream and throw tantrums and I don't think they wanted to deal with that. So it was easier just to be like, Oh Amanda, you're lying about him trying to kill you. Oh Amanda, it was an accident when he put his when he closed the door. Like that was the story they all went with in the mm-hmm. end. The official story was Andy slamming the door on my hand was an accident, but I watched his face. He kept eye contact with me the whole time he shut the door on my hand.
1: So he just had it out for you oh, after yeah. that. Oh yeah. So this is this is something that I do know and I have heard before but I think it's very interesting is when your parents would send you off together. Oh. Like just some yeah. of those some of those instances where they intentionally put the two of you together. Alone. Yeah,
0: like after he got his driver's license, they thought it was going to repair our sibling relationship to have us spend a lot of time together, so they would like send me you know to run errands with him alone,
1: so at that point he's sixteen, if he just got his driver's license, and you're eight, nine mm, eight, but they were intentionally like, "You two
0: go do the thing, go
1: do the thing, yeah, and there were other instances where they were trying to if I remember correctly try to get him to apologize and get you guys to spend time together to like reconcile. That was when
0: we were older. Okay. So I don't know if we have time for that in this episode. Is that part two? <laughs> yeah,
1: I think we can get there. Um I think the next thing we're going to touch on, we can, we can end it there. I think that was a pretty hard and heavy introduction to the, I mean, we already heard about the abuse that just in general happened in the cult. Um And, you know, this is a more personal, yeah, recollection of of what really happens in the cult. Yeah, um, and we'll touch on that eventually, and about, how
0: it got handled. And it's right. it's so similar to the Duggar story, like sending him off to the cult facility, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, there are so many so many parallels. And this story is like <laughs> this is a twenty eight year story. And I think we're three years into it at this point. So three or four years into it at this point. So
1: So then then what I want to touch on next in the next episode is going to be, we're going to jump ahead just a little bit and get to the point where you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. You're starting to get out of the house more. Mm -hmm. You go off to college and we get into the point where you eventually end up reporting your brother.
0: Yeah. Well, we've got to talk about the second disclosure to my bio parents. Eventually that did happen. Okay. You guys are going to love how that went down.
1: <laughs> so, um, with that being said, I think we will wrap it up there and we will continue this story. Sure. Um, and there's, there's more to it.
0: There's a lot more to it. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So self-care y'all like, just because this is normal for me to talk about does not mean it is normal for you to hear about. So take some really good care of yourselves and pet your dog or your cat, hug your kid, <laughs> believe victims, you know, all the normal stuff. But make sure if this was a troubling, difficult episode to listen to that you you spend some time doing stuff that really builds up your mental health.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of The Cult I Left Behind. Until
0: next time,
1: don't join a cult. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe, and we will catch you on the next episode.